Well, let's go to John chapter 20. I'm actually going to try to teach a whole chapter uh, today out of John chapter 20. Now, we know for the, us as Christians, this is a very special weekend. Um, it starts off a little tough on Friday. Uh, in one sense, Friday is the die day. It's the, the why day. Like, why did Jesus die? You know, for the apostles then, imagine how it was. I mean, they were seeing him nailed to a cross, the one who had, you know, defeated death for others and healed the lame and did all these works still in the storm. I mean, feeding the thousands. I mean, how could he die? Uh, he had so much power. And when he died in many ways, all their dreams died with him. And so that Friday was the die day, was the why day. And as that begins to sink in, and as you're there and he's dead, and that starts sinking in, uh, after Friday, you can't help but go to Saturday because it's got to get sadder than, you know, you're, wow, I can't believe this happened. I can't imagine how these guys and gals felt on that Saturday when now just everything that was good just got nailed to a cross and it's done and there's no hope, but then Sunday, then Sunday. And it took a little while for them to find out, but they came to discover that Jesus is alive. And when you hit that valley and then you shoot up to that mountaintop, I can't even begin to imagine the joy they must have felt in their hearts. To me, I'm thinking they probably went, yes. Yes, I knew it. I knew he was the Messiah. I knew he was the savior of the world. Victory. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine the joy that they felt after going so low and then seeing their savior alive? And, and so that's what this day is. And, you know, to see Jesus alive. I mean, I know this sounds kind of weird to you, um, I don't know, uh, someone died and then they come back to life and you're kind of, ha you're happy for them, right? But but Easter is is such a thing where you're also kind of like, okay, I'm happy that he's alive, but I'm also happy for me. That, that's kind of the way it works, right? That um, what he did, what, what he does, what he did, it applies to us. And, and he's the star, he scores all the points, he gets the victory. But because we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we're on the same team, we get the same trophy, we get the same triumph there with him as well. We do. And so it goes from this crazy sadness to this amazing gladness. We go from sinners to, to winners. We go from death to life. And I remember when my daughter got baptized, I remember she just, uh, her arm just threw up in the air. She's all, yes. And I feel that way today. This is what this day is all about. You know, I, I'm not talking about some vague and ambiguous, irrelevant point of random religion. I mean, we're talking about the nuts and bolts of life. We're talking about how Mike's dad was driving in a car. He was on his way to the market. He got hit, and he died. Then what? I mean, we are talking about things that are very, very relevant. There is a hope that he will see him again. You know, I'm going to see my dad again. Even though, you know, I got the call May 14th of last year that he had died 
Because of what we're talking about today, he didn't die. He just departed. You know, I got the, I was looking at my phone the other day to make sure it was on my calendar and my wife had already plugged it in. And there on my May 14th, it says, Manuel's homecoming. Because he didn't die, he just departed. You know, and I think about my dad a lot. And it still brings tears to my eyes. And it still brings pain to my heart. But in my heart, there's a peace. In my journey to see him again, there's a joy. Why? Because of what today symbolizes. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I will see him again. There is no doubt about it, and he's probably going to be taller, and he's probably going to be more alive. We know he's going to be more alive then than he ever was here because Jesus lives my dad lives, and if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you live now and forever. This is what this resurrection is all about. If you have placed your faith in the Lord who died and rose again, and if you've chosen to follow him, then we will see him again, and we will see our loved ones who have died in Christ. You know, Jesus said that in John fourteen nineteen. He said, a little while longer, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live, you will live also. And, and so, you know, this is what this day is all about. Not everyone goes to heaven. Not everyone will see him. Not everyone will see their loved ones in Christ because you have to make a decision to follow Christ. Jesus said a little while longer and the world will see me no more. The worldly will see him no more. The ungodly will see him no more. Not everyone goes to heaven. The unbeliever won't see him. The unsaved won't see him. But those who believe on him will. Not everyone will see God in a favorable way. Only those who believe and receive. Maybe you might remember, I share with you guys, that, that tombstone. Imagine going to the cemetery and reading this on a tombstone. It says, pause, stranger, when you pass me by, for as you are, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be. Prepare for death and follow me. And so one man, he read the tombstone and he kind of went down and he scratched on the tombstone. To follow you, I am not content until I know which way you went. <laughs> right? We're all going to die. We're all going to die. What we're talking about on Easter Sunday is not some uh, vague, ambiguous, irrelevant, random religious point. We are talking about the most important thing uh, of all life. We're all going to die. Unless we get raptured, that's our future. And the only question is, will you be with or without God? And that's something that today you've got to make that decision. If you have drifted away, you need to make a choice to come back to God. If you've never made that decision, and you know whether or not you're a Christian, because, you know, when you become a Christian, it's amazing. God lives inside of you. And when God lives inside of you, you'll know it. You'll know it. And so if you're not sure, then you have to make that decision today. This is not irrelevant. 
I pray that we would take this to heart as we study the 20th chapter of the Gospel of John. Isn't it so cool to be able to go to church and they, they teach you the Bible? That's what we're doing today. It's not my word, it's God's word. And it's interesting in John, let me just set this up real quick before we dive in. I have never taught the Gospel of John on an Easter service because it's a little bit more difficult. But as I began to kind of go into this chapter, I realized that it's different than the Synoptic Gospels. It's different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke because um, what John does, because he writes his letter or his book probably about 30 years after the other guys, he says, okay, you guys got all that information. That's fine. But let me tell you personal stories. You know, there were other ladies there, but let me tell you about Mary's story. There were other guys there, but let me tell you about Thomas' story. There are other people there. Let me tell you about John. So he makes it really personal. And you'll see that as we go through this chapter. And so John chapter 20, if you have your Bibles, look at what it says in verse 1. It says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. And so it's the first day of the week. It, it was Sunday. And by the way, just as a quick side note, that's why Christians go to church on Sunday, not Saturday, because of the, the day that Jesus rose from the grave. And so now it's Sunday, and, and, and he mentions Mary Magdalene here in verse 1. But, but we know when we read the other Gospels that Mary wasn't alone. She came that morning with uh, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome, and other women to anoint the body of Jesus. But here, John just mentions her. And like I said, I think the reason is, is because he wants to hone in on her story. John had that you know, tendency to tell personal stories, whether it was Nicodemus and John chapter 3 or the woman at the well and John chapter 4. And I, and I like that, you know, because as we go to church service, my prayer is that this would be personal for each one of us, not just a general get-together on Easter Sunday, not a church service for the person next to you. No, this must be between every single person here and God. It has to be personal. We all have our own story. And that's what John here is pointing out. This is Mary's perspective. You know, again, he's well aware. Everyone knows all the other stuff. And so now he wants to say how it went down for her. And so when you read the Synoptic Gospels and you see all these uh, gals, it's beautiful women that went to the tomb to finish anointing the body of Jesus in preparation for his burial, uh, you guys know the story. Remember, they got there. The stone was rolled away. There were two, it says, young men that looked like angels. They were angels, but they were like young men. They were dressed in shiny uh, white clothes. That's really the description of them. And so you guys remember the story. The angels told the ladies, hey, you guys are looking for Jesus of Nazareth. He's not here. He's risen from the dead. Go tell the guys that I'll meet him down yonder, right? And so that was... The, the story, and when the ladies left, the Bible gives us this interesting description that they were in awe, it was awesome, they were amazed, but they were also afraid. And so there's this kind of like mixed emotions as they go back uh, to, to the guys. And so 
we, we know general message, but, but then when John shares, he talks about Mary's story. And, and, and Mary, Mary wouldn't mind any of this. You know, Mary didn't believe in what the angels said. She probably didn't think they were angels, a couple of guys that were dressed nice. Uh, she was not gullible. She was a thinker. She was a skeptic. She wanted uh, more evidence. Mary loved the Lord. Mary loved the Lord. And that's why we're going to see as we go through our, our study today, she was upset. You know, a proper burial to the Jews, and really to any of us, a proper burial was imperative. I mean, you read throughout the Gospels, and you see that sometimes God would judge the ungodly by saying, hey, okay, you're not going to get a proper burial. The dogs are going to eat your body. Or, you know, you're going to get hung in some public humiliation. That was just an abomination to, to anyone, but especially the Jews. And so here's Mary, and she's leaving the tomb, and she's thinking, you know, they've stolen his body. They've stolen my Lord's body. And that's all she can think. You know, she did not see or hear any angels. There was nothing supernatural about this in her ears or eyes or heart. Um, all she said was they've taken his body and, they, and I don't know where they, where they laid it, but I'm going to find out. And so, um, I don't know really what the other ladies were thinking, but you, you look at verse 3 in response. It says, Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. And so they both ran together and the other disciple, this is John the Beloved, he outran Peter and came to the tomb first. Now, John the Beloved, he's younger and apparently faster uh, than Peter. Not that we would ever race or be competitive, but he's the one who also wrote the book and he put the details there, right? And so, you know, he's all, yeah, I got there quicker. But in verse 5, and he, stooping down and looking in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. But then Simon Peter, he's a little bit more rambunctious, right? He came following him and, and he just went into the tomb and he saw the linen cloths lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. And then the other disciple, again, this is John the Beloved, who came to the tomb first. Now he goes in, he finally goes in, went in also. And notice this, this is so important. He saw and believed. He saw and believed. And you might want to underline that. For as yet, they, they did not know the scripture. They, they didn't know Psalm 16, verse 10. They didn't know the Old Testament that talked about how the Messiah would have to rise. So right now, they're just kind of going on, on other things. And, and so it says in verse 10, then the disciples went away again to their own homes. And so, um, you know, the guys run in response to what the gals say. They go to the tomb. It's empty. And as they go in, they see the clothes lying there. They see the handkerchief. It's all folded up. That's interesting. And when John saw it, the Bible says that, that, that he saw and unbelieved. And, and to me, that's really important. And we're going to come back to hone in on this. But I think that when John saw it, because to me, like, okay, you didn't really, like, the evidence of him being alive is, is seeing him, right? An empty tomb, 
is not necessarily evidence of a risen Lord. But John, he, he was logical. John, he, he was beautiful. John, he was spiritual. John, he, he said, man, I, I've watched him for the last three years speak the greatest words of love ever spoken. I've seen him do these greatest works ever done. And, and then, yeah, he died on a cross, but something about it just didn't seem right. John was there when Jesus died, and he saw the whole thing. And if the Roman soldiers could look at Jesus die and say, truly, this was the Son of God, there was something special about Jesus' death. And, and so John, he's just kind of putting all the evidence together. And now when he sees that the tomb is empty, he just believes He hadn't seen the Lord risen yet. Just like us, we haven't seen him physically, but we begin to put just the evidence together and and it's just, it's beautiful. It's spiritual. It's, to me, logical. You know, you go to the the jury, you go downtown and you're on the, the, whatever, the team. You don't need to see the event actually happen. You just need to take in the evidence. And that's why John is such a beautiful example for us. That, that he saw that, that's all he had to see. You know, you can go with us to Israel today and you can see the empty tomb still there. And so anyways, we'll come back to that. But just note how John saw the empty tomb and, and believed. And, and they went home, but Mary, it says in verse 11, But Mary stood outside by the tomb, weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, sitting one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And then they they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Just out of curiosity, any of you here ever seen an angel? Maybe you have, um, maybe you haven't, um, but you know, to me, when I, when I think of this right here, how these angels, and again, the Gospels describe them as dressed in this dazzling white, why can't Mary see the angels? I mean, they're right, these are God's angels who have come to testify that Jesus is alive, they, they told her that. That's why they're asking her, why are you weeping? But she can't see and she can't hear. Something is going on here. Even the angels were tripping out. (laughs) They're like, woman, why are you weeping? Jesus is alive, but she just can't hear that. She's not convinced. Why is she not convinced? I'm not really sure why there are different theories. I think that she was a very... Uh, emotional uh, woman, but I, I think that she was very blinded by her pain. And, and that can happen. You know, as you study the scriptures, you'll find that Mary was one who loved the Lord. She was among the last at the, at the cross, the first at the tomb. Why did she love him so much? Why did she love Jesus so much? She just couldn't leave the tomb. And she couldn't see the angels. 
that she couldn't hear these voices from God. Why? Well, I think when you read her story, it kind of begins to make sense because the Bible says in Luke chapter 8 and verse 2 and in Mark chapter 16 verse 9 that Jesus had cast seven demons out of her. I don't know if you can or should even think, what would it be like to have seven demons inside of you? What would the torture be? What would the torment be if you were possessed by seven demons? A a woman named Mary Magdalene. What would these demons make you do? How would they make you feel? What would they put kind of thoughts in your mind? What would it be like to have seven demons inside of you? You know, it just breaks your heart to consider her condition. There she is, tormented and tortured without hope. And there was no one, there was no one who could help her. And that she thought, my life is over. It's not worth living. She's beyond hope. She's beyond reach. Until one day, This man shows up with so much love and so much power that with authority, he casts these demons out of her and sets her free to such a place that she becomes a virtuous and victorious woman. That was Mary Magdalene. That was her. God had healed her. Jesus had healed her. And she never got over the heel. Never. And to me, as I'm trying to figure this out, I'm like, Lord, why can't she see the angels? Why can't she hear the angels? Why can't she leave the tomb? And, and then you begin to just see it. it's because of the fact that that she loved him, and now this one who had set her free, the one she put all her hopes in, the Messiah, she just knew he was the savior of the world. Now he's dead, and just, it just doesn't. It, none of this calculates. It just doesn't make sense. She can't take it. She's weeping. They stole the body. You know, and so I don't know how you guys feel about that. Maybe some of you are like looking at her, and you're finding fault in her lack of faith. I, I just find myself, for whatever reason, I, I admire her, her love. And I was thinking, as I was reading through this, I was thinking, Lord, I'll bet you there are people like that here today. That they can't hear the voice of God. They can't see the work of God. There's this barrier that keeps them from coming to Christ completely, and robbing them of the joy of this day because of what they're going through. Maybe it's the pain of a loss that you've experienced, and there are many ways to experience loss to the point where hopelessness begins to creep in. Next thing you know, your whole world caves in, and you just can't seem to get up. You just can't seem to go anywhere You can't seem to move on with this amazing 
life that God has for you. And that's where Mary was. That's her story. Now, tell you what, that's a lot of our stories. We're hurting. And it's hard to see through the tears. And then God, He gives us His story. Watch what happens in verse 14. Now, now when she had said this, and they stole his body, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Now imagine that. It's one thing seeing the angels not knowing they're angels. Now she's seeing Jesus. Uh, she doesn't know it's Jesus. And Jesus said to her the same thing. Woman, why are you? And I can't help but when I read this, I'm like, wow, Lord, a lot of people are crying. A lot of people are hurting. A lot of people are weeping. But in one sense, and even though God is compassionate, he's tender, he understands, he, he wants them to know there's really no reason to. Why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Answer that question. Who are you seeking? I pray it's the same thing that Mary was seeking. She's supposing him to be the gardener. Jesus probably had like a rake or something. I'm not sure why. She thought it was the gardener. But she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. I will bring him back. And then in verse 16, the most amazing thing, Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say teacher. And, and can you imagine, there's no doubt about it, that she was about to hold tight to him and never, ever let go again, right? And so Jesus said to her, hold on a second, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. He, he was going to go and he was going to finish the work and Jesus had to go to heaven in order to send the Holy Spirit. And so he says, Mary, he calls her. And then we read in verse 18, Mary Magdalene came and, and then she told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. It's amazing. Who was the first person Jesus appeared to? Mary Magdalene the one who had been possessed by seven demons. And for those of us who a lot of times will get into our pharisaical mindset, well, how did she get possessed by demons? Did she do the Ouija board? <laughs> she probably did drugs, I'll bet, that girl. She opened doors to demons. Otherwise, it could have never happened. And, and it's crazy, you know? Uh, yeah, she probably did a lot of bad stuff. And then the demons came inside of her but Jesus loved her, and Jesus set her free. And she was the first person out of all the people of all time that he appeared to. 
in his risen form. And how did she know it was Jesus? How did she know it was him? When he called her by name. Mary. Mary. I've heard it. I've heard it. Mammy. I don't know if it was Jesus' voice or angel's voice. I've heard it. Saul heard it on his way to Damascus in Acts chapter 9. Jesus, he said, Saul. When the whole nation of Israel was going down into the dumps and the, the high priest and all his sons was crazy what was going on in Israel, God calls this little 12-year-old, he's 12 years old, named Samuel by name. Samuel. He wasn't even sure, hey, Eli, was that you? No, go to bed. He keeps calling him. Over and over again. And I'm here to tell you that he is calling you by name. It's not a pastor. It's not a church. It's not a well-intentioned person. He calls us by name. That's how people get saved. That's when you know it's the Lord, you know, you feel the tug in your heart. You know, I can't save anyone. Sometimes it's, I don't know, I don't know if how it all works. I wish everybody got saved, you know, the moment they were, you know, born or conceived or whatever they could understand. But sometimes we have to go through different things and then eventually the day comes where just everything begins to line up and you realize how much he loves you and you realize that he's willing to forgive you and to wash away your sins, to give you strength. And he just, and then you hear him calling you by name. And when she heard him say, Mary, she knew it was the Lord. And, and what ends up happening in this story right here is this so beautiful, is the, is the weeper becomes a worshiper the mourner is now turned to missionary because she goes and she tells the guys, hey, I saw him. I saw him. And I pray for anyone here today that, you know, maybe you drifted away from God. And, and we all do it. I think uh, so many in the church, we've gone through some difficult times like Henry was saying, last year was the beginning of the pandemic. And I remember preaching to an empty sanctuary. And some of you guys maybe were, were watching online. And just we went through, we've gone through so much. And like the video said, you know, the video is talking about the fact that we were not created to be isolated. We were created to be social creatures and to fellowship and to love and to be with each other. So it's taken its toll upon us in so many ways. And so during this time, many people have drifted away. Many marriages are on the rocks. There's a lot going on. People have turned to drugs and alcohol. People don't want to live anymore. That's the world that we're living in. And so many have drifted away but, you know, maybe, who knows, maybe you're like, okay, well, today's Easter, and, you know, you got to go to church on Easter because that would be really pagan, you know, not to go to church on Easter and whatever. You know, you just kind of came. Little did you know that it's not just like, uh, uh, you know, fulfilling a religious obligation. This would be the day. This would be the day that Jesus Christ sets you free. 
and, and begins this new life of power. How? How? Because he calls you by name, not me. I'm a peon. I am nothing. I am wicked, wretched, warped, messed up. Ask my wife. I'm telling you, man. The invitation doesn't come from me. It comes from him. You know, it's interesting when you look at this, how God transforms our life. And, and we look at John, and to me, he was spiritual. He was beautiful. He was logical. You look at Mary, and she went through a lot, and it was tough, uh, emotional. I think she went through this. But then there are some here, and, you know, that you're just, like, really intellectual. You're like, hey, you know, I don't know about this whole, you know, resurrection thing. And so the Lord then speaks to us as we continue our journey through this chapter. In verse 19, it says, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut. So remember, it's the same day. This is a process. The doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. Now these guys are still afraid. And Jesus came and he stood in the midst and he said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side and then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And I don't know, the word glad definitely doesn't do justice to the emotions they must have felt. Like I said earlier, yes. Yes, I knew it. I knew you were the Messiah. They were so happy. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. They were glad. And so Jesus said to them again, peace to you. Notice he just keeps, he wants to give you peace for your troubled heart. Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. This is life for us, right? And when he had said this, notice he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. That's when you get saved. You know, you go back to the book of Genesis, he breathed into their nostrils the breath of life. That's physical life. Now he's breathing on them the spiritual life. That's what happens today if you respond to the invitation of Jesus Christ, then God will breathe on you. God will give you life. The Holy Spirit will come inside of you. This is what we see here. He's, he's, they're born again. And he says in verse 23, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now, this doesn't mean that you can come to us and we can absolve you of your sins. That's not what that's talking about. This is what it's talking about, that as they were sending these guys out to this great commission to preach the gospel, I can tell you by the authority of God's word that if you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, all your sins will be washed away. Everything that you do, past, present, and future, will be forgiven by God. That's what that is. But I can also tell you that if you don't, if you don't acknowledge Jesus, the one who conquered the coffin the way that he did and defeated death, then your sins won't be forgiven and you will stand before God in all your sins. And so as we read this, the Lord gives them the commission and he beautiful thing how he appears to them. Now Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. And the other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. And so he said to them, yeah, right. <laughs> Unless I see in his hand the print of the nails 
and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. I mean, homeboy didn't just want to see it. I mean, he said, I got to touch it, right? And so it says right here, after eight days, this is eight days later, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and boom, he disappears and stood in the midst. And he said, again, what's the word? Peace. Peace to you. I want you to have peace with God. Because prior to being a Christian, our sins have separated us from him and we're enemies of God. Peace with God. And then when this gospel really gets a hold of your heart, the amazing love and grace that he has for us, you'll have the peace of God. He just keeps saying it again, peace. And he says it again, peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here, look at my hands, reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Here it is. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's us. That's us today. Jesus, in one sense, he commends you for your faith, even though you've never seen with these eyes. How many of you can testify? I see him with these eyes. I feel him. I know him. I love him. You know, Thomas, it's okay. You guys, when we're, when we're forming the whole, would Jesus rise from the dead? You have to have witnesses. And so there were over 500 witnesses who saw the risen Lord. That's a lot of witnesses. So you got to have that. I understand that. But, but when, you, when you look at the whole thing, I think in one sense, Thomas represents the intellectual individual. You know, there are some who think, well, Christians, they can't really be intellectual. Oh, yes, they can. As a matter of fact, when you look throughout history, um, it's amazing. People like Simon Greenleaf, professor of law at Harvard University, who examined the evidence for the resurrection, and he became a Christian. C.S. Lewis, former atheist, Oxford educator, turned advocate for the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. He became a Christian. Lee Strobel, former atheist, hard-nosed journalist for the Chicago Tribune, became a Christian. You know, I was reading articles today, and I was like, man, looking for like news articles about Good Friday or Easter service, and it seems like the only thing I could find are these articles by these authors or writers that are anti-Christian, telling us all the bad things about secularism. But now, you know, this is an example of, while that guy got saved, Lee Strobel. I mean, you name it. There are so many who have, uh, you know, this IQ in the clouds. So smart. Because when you examine the evidence for the resurrection, I mean, it is overwhelming. You will become a Christian. Simon Greenleaf wrote the book of law on evidence admissible in the court of law. He said, oh, I'll check out the evidence and I'll write a book to debunk Christianity. In the process, he became a Christian. And when you become a Christian and you say yes to Jesus and you come in, then what ends up happening is he reveals himself to you. It's amazing to me. It's amazing to me how people who say they're smart 
can actually say this whole world, this whole universe came to be by accident, by random chance, by a series of fortuitous occurrences. You know, like there was an explosion in a junkyard and out comes this, you know, a plane or an explosion in a print shop and out comes a dictionary. You're just a, a you know, there was a, there was no who, there was just a goo and then a zoo and then you. That's what they say. <laughs> I'm sorry, but, you know, I look at us. I look at love. I listen to music. I watch, you know, I, I hear them sing. I, I, I just see the colors. I enjoy the food. I, I have a wife. I have kids. I, this is an accident? No. The smart ones when they look at the evidence, they become believers. And that's why, you guys, today, my prayer is, you know, that if you're an intellectual, you, can, you don't have to check in your brain at the door. You can come and be a Christian. The evidence is overwhelming. Jesus Christ is the only one who conquered death. You can go to the gravesite of Muhammad. There it is under the green dome. He's still there. The body's still there. Buddha... Krishna, all the other so-called religious leaders, they don't even claim to have conquered death. Jesus is the only one. And that's why we know we can follow him. Erwin Lutzer said, we do not need a savior who just helps us. We need a savior who can resurrect us. We don't need only a savior who helps us when life gets tough. We need a savior who helps us when life ends. And that's what Jesus does. Look what John says in closing right here. In John chapter 20, it says in verse 29, Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. This is the whole, it was written so that you would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. 